Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. We are discussing Omega the Unknown, number nine from 1977, written once again by Steve Gerber and Mary Screenas and illustrated by Jim Mooney. So nice having Gerber back in this book. You could just feel everything leveling up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, taking on a lot more energy. I think it's just the biggest thing I noticed was that the characterization got back to how <laughs> Gerben kind of like picked up all the pieces that had been played with and messed around with and kind of like um, brought it back to like some type of manageability. Although yeah. there's some interesting things that I noticed that um, that were that were left from the previous issues. Like main case in point, you know, the hero actually is talking a lot more. He's talkative now. He wants money. He's just kind of interesting. I know it's weird. He's he probably said five words in issues one through six, and then suddenly in issue nine here, he's talking a lot. Mm-hmm. You got any money? Yeah. Happy yeah, yeah. any. Yeah. And then he screams at the crowd when he's chasing Blockbuster. Yeah. It's strange. And I don't think we really get any sort of explanation of why he's suddenly so talkative. Mm-hmm. Surrender the metal box to me, Blockbuster. I have no desire to fight you, only to claim the reward. I mean, really? Yeah. Well, I get that actually. I like, I mean, we can get to, to that point, but um, the idea that, uh, I think there was a point in there. Well, should we get started from the beginning or I'd love to jump into that point. Yeah, let's do that. So our hero is trapped from the previous episode under the collapsing, uh, under a collapsed building and has to free himself. And we get another great interior monologue from the first part of the of this issue. I love these interior monologues. What I got out of this one is I, I kind of feel like I looked up Gerber a little bit, and obviously you'd know a lot more, but I noticed that he hasn't written anything outside of Marvel Hero comics. And I, I kind of, you know, we've kind of made those comparisons between him and Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that um, I feel like he could have done a lot more. And I like the, I feel like the first few pages where Omega is injured and trying to get out of the rubble and then JM is injured at the same time. It kind of shows a, it to me, it illustrates the correlation between superhero comics and the kids that read them, like specifically kids, you know, not adults. And the fact that, um, you know, and something happens to the hero would make a child feel bad too. Cause I remember I was, it's very, I remember when I was a kid, and maybe I was just the only one that was like this, but I would imagine you kind of feel the things that the hero that you're reading about is feeling. And moreover, even the heroes in your life, like your parents, oftentimes like the people that we look up to, if they're having a hard time, then we're having a hard time without ever even noticing it. Like maybe the parent isn't saying anything, but if they're stressed out, if they look stressed, Mm-hmm. and the kid looks stressed and i think that's how that's what the that's the mature theme that i feel like gerber is presenting here at least i'm reading out of it 
No, I think that's a, there's a lot to that because it's about the kid's empathy. It's a great insight, I think, because like kids have empathy for what's going on around them, their family, for the, for their friends, for their pets, as my mm-hmm. cat crawls all over me, uh, uh-huh. you know, for, for what others are feeling. And I think that might be a big part of why this comic resonated with me so strongly when I was a kid and first mm-hmm. discovered it, because I could see myself in James Michael and I could see myself in like feeling, yeah, a connection to these people who I was seeing on the page. They may have been wearing these odd costumes, but in my mind, they were more three-dimensional than uh, certainly the characters I was seeing on TV or other media. Mm-hmm. But, you know, kids are famous for, for kind of identifying with, you know, any, all kinds of characters, right? That's why people love stuff like He-Man, because... They have this childlike identification with the characters, with Transformers or whatever, you know, thing that's become popular again. Yeah, mostly the adults who are nostalgic about those characters. Yeah, but yeah, because kids always move on to the next thing. But like, I noticed there's a lot of like stuff on YouTube about Nicktoons, for example. I was just watching a, a, a little thing today on CatDog. And someone was nostalgic for cat dog, which went off the air 20 years ago. I think kids are always, it's always, a, it's a cycle that people always go through. Mm-hmm. But they always identify with these characters who are two-dimensional on the screen or on the page, you know? Mm. And I think it's as old as time too. Don't you think people had the same attitude about, you know, Doc Savage and Tarzan? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. I was listening to a podcast with uh, Quinn Tarantino and he was talking about how Generation X, and maybe he's just because he very thinks about himself, but he said that there's this certain type of nostalgia that the Generation Xers had, which is, I think, which would be you and I in this case, where like you get nostalgic about things that you watched and things that you played for because you don't have the because I feel like the generation before us probably had like at least American. I'm talking about just American generation mm-hmm. before it had the war, you know, the Vietnam War, they had the turbulence. And the kids that were our age, we grew up in the late 70s, you know, I grew up in the 80s, you know, 90s. And so we we were more attached to a lot of the you know, nostalgic things that we played with or read as a child. So I don't know where I'm going with that, but I feel like it's a little bit more apparent to our generation, you and I's generation, perhaps, than maybe um, earlier or even current one. There's so much now. I mean, again, like I'm not a young person. I haven't really talked to a lot of older folks about this, but I feel like currently there's just so much stuff. And then for generation, generation next, there's just enough that you could remember and get nostalgic and go back to. So you're, you're thinking like part of it's that there was just the right amount of stuff for us to kind of get attached to that like, um, newer generations, there's just so much always coming at them that's yeah. a little harder for them to feel nostalgic. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting idea. Who knows? But it's interesting you talk about cat dog. I, I totally forgotten about it. I can't believe it's 20 years old. <laughs> right? I never really watched it because I wasn't a kid when it came out, but I recognized the picture, like the images. Yeah, my kids watched it and, uh, you know, they loved it at the time. 
I, I wonder if they're nostalgic for it now. Mm. Uh, but we went on a big tangent here because uh, Omega's not nostalgic at all. There's nothing really positive about this world that Gerber and Screen has but, created. But I think, I think that there's a correlation between that superhero and the kid. The mm-hmm. kid being the reader and the superhero being the hero that the kid, you put yourself in the character when you're reading the comic book as a child, which I think maybe why you have such a great reverence for this comic is that when you were a kid, you're reading it and you kind of, some subconscious thing had an effect on you to recognize that like you do your, see yourself in the hero and this is, it's giving you more than just a regular superhero where you just get to slide into the hero's character where you actually kind of realize that correlation. But I don't know, I'm just, I'm actually telling you how you, when in your brain, <laughs> you have no idea. So well, though I, I know think- that's what happened to me. I think the mystery is part of it too. The fact that you there's this kind of enigma at the center of everything makes you makes you kind of more invested in the character's story mm-hmm. because he, he you don't know what's what the what's happening around him. And also, James Michael has these parental figures around him all the time. Sorry, Amber and Ruth are around him all the time, parenting him. So he is getting. Uh, like the surrogate parenting. So there's also this transition of him going from his old parents to his new parents. And you know, my parents didn't get divorced, but I knew a lot, I had a lot of friends who were divorced or parents were divorced. And seeing them go from one household to another also gives us extra resonance to this because James Michael's going from one set of parents to another set of parents and experiencing their new dysfunctions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he just immediately feels better when Omega feels better. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like Omega is still having the, I'm going to call Omega. It's so hard to call it here. I feel like he actually does not come to full health as fast as James Michael does. Cause he still has that adventure of like kind of wobbly when he's flying and then comes down and so walking around wobbly. I feel like not trying to get involved still has bruises on his face i think he's bruised by everything else that's happened to him in the previous Mm -hmm. issues too Mm. when they have that interior monologue at the beginning about the repetitiveness of regular or uh, not regular employment but uh the regularness of the battles he has to fight against the criminals like all the time he has no break from it it's one thing after another from electro all the way to now blockbuster he's like what the hell is this world I'm living in? Mm-hmm. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the superhero comic book world, yeah, repeating fights. It's so funny. I also have heard another idea about superhero talks where, like, when you're a kid and you read a comic book and it's still the same thing over and over again, you have this, again, going back, to, I don't know if it's nostalgia, but you have this innocence that you feel like well, I'm going to get a different thing next issue. So you just keep reading it over and over again. But as an adult, you're like, no, no, I know where this BS is going to go to. So I might as well just stop reading this because it's just the same thing repeat- repeating over and over again. And, and it's, it's interesting to think of it that way, where like there are still some adults who keep reading the same book. So I don't know if you've heard this. I've heard a lot of adults that just keep writing the same reading the same comic books over and over again and still keep complaining about it so it's yeah. just it's so funny how like 
you know, in this case, you see, you know, the hero saying like, yeah, I keep going through this thing over and over again. It's the same thing. Part of that satire, I think Gerber and Screenus are adding to this book where they're, you know, kind of commenting on the fact that it's the same crap over and over. I mean, I think as a kid, it, you know, I'm sure you have nieces and nephews who love to watch the same movies over and over again. That's true. I've seen that. Yeah. Right. And especially like up to, you know, age 10 or 11, people watch the same stuff over and over. Actually, I like, I think about it, like I was just reading a book about the first Star Wars movie. I've seen that movie over and over again too. And it just gives me this kind of comfort in a way to watch it. Mm. You know, everyone has the certain things that they enjoy. Music's a great example of that. You know, when you can sing along to the chorus of, I don't know, I want to hold your hand or something. There's this very kind of comfort in that, especially when life is chaotic all around you. Yeah, that makes sense. I think music is a perfect example because as an adult, I really identify with the music one more than anything else. Like, like I don't watch movies over again. I may go to a movie and I'll watch my favorite scene. Maybe just look it up on YouTube, not even go to the DVD. And with comic books, it's the same thing. I mean, I might read it again if we're talking about it with a friend or something, but I rarely go, but I do go back to the artwork. You know, I go back to the scenes or the sections of a comic that I like. Uh, so it's interesting to think about. Yeah, it's comforting. You know, I watch watch The Big Lebowski again when I'm really stressed out because it just makes That's me happy. That's a movie I can watch. Yeah. yeah. What if friends? Yeah, their friends around. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but like here's Gerber and Screenus, I think in some ways saying, God, more of the same crap? Why are we delivering the same stuff to our heroes? Why do our heroes have to go through the same junk every month, month after month after month? You know, and then at this time, like Marvel was very kind of stagnated in terms of what they are presenting in, in the mainstream comics, the more mainstream comics. You know, comics like Spider-Man and Fantastic Four were extremely repetitious. Mm-hmm. that's one thing about Gerber's comics they were never repetitious if you read Howard the Duck there's no two issues that are even slightly alike to each other mm. Man Thing was also like this wandering mind and uh, it's really obvious when you read Gerber's take on Morbius because every issue of Morbius is like a completely different comic one issue it's horror the next issue it's sci-fi the next issue it's like this bizarre alien chase across the universe kind of thing like every story is just a different story. And he had this very restless mind that just constantly had to be doing something different. He could never just fall into a routine. So when the hero is kind of uh, running away from all the events and saying, this is crazy. Why am I trapped in this world where I'm constantly fighting? Uh, I really see it as kind of a minute commentary on Marvel Comics at that time. Well, the other thing that's interesting, too, is later on when the fool killer comes in and shoots the two people fighting, and I think mm-hmm. he kills them, right? Yeah. Um, and then Pappy, is it Pappy, the old man? Gramps, sorry. Yeah. Gramps. Gramps was like, uh, like he's for that killing, and like, you know, the hero's like, wait, you're, you're, you approve of this murder or violence? He's like, damn right, I approve. And it's just interesting. And then you could see in the background, I think it's on page five. Um, you can see in the background where the two people are fighting, the people in the background are so excited. It's like, attaboy, Tommy, let's get some action. 
Yeah. Don't, don't let them kill you, Bruno. They're all like cheering and it's like, and there's just a, some type of violent culture. And maybe it's interesting how superhero comics are all about violence, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of funny. And this is what you're showing. I mean, you know, you don't really see people getting hurt or blood and everything, most of the comics, but uh, it's interesting how like, how violence is so okay with people. And the violence in this comic overall, I think especially of James, My or not James Michael, but John Nedley getting beat up is so horrific. It's so terrifying. Mm -hmm. Even the scenes with Electro at the telethon, where he's threatening the, the little kid at the telethon in issue three, it's like, or two rather, is just legitimately scary to me. Mm -hmm. Like everything in this comic is so much more ground level. You know, Elgato and his threats to the people who are in this cult. It's another example of that. It's like everything is just very kind of feels like it's from the streets of New York. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not just any New York, but New York in the 1970s when it was really becoming a hellhole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what did you make of Fool Killer? This is the first time you've seen the character. Uh, I know we talked about it maybe offline, not on the podcast. Uh, and I think you mentioned that he's like a Punisher type of a character. What I was, what was interesting to me, he did seem very arrogant, not like the Punisher, but you know, kind of similar to the Punisher. I think he seemed apparently like Fool Killer number one was a religious crusader and this new one is not. But it was interesting that like, you know, I guess the character is somebody who wants to kill bad people, right? And and uh, Rory, uh, you know, Rory and him were talking about how like, the first Fool Killer was crazy because he was like a religious nut. And I feel like in like an arrogant way, and I even wrote this down, the new fool killer is like, well, I'm going to be different because I'm secularizing the persona or whatever, like, or fool killer. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be religious based, so, so I'm okay. But then he still has all the hubris and the arrogance of a crazy person thinking that they're doing the right thing. Like, Because if I'm not mistaken, fool killer killed the jewelry store owner too right when he was fighting or when the two people were yep. fighting yeah the grocery so owner yeah yeah and then you know he's very arrogant you know he's all like you know, he when he talks to amber when he talks to ruth it's just kind of shows a little bit of the hubris that superheroes have thinking like well i'm i'm better because i'm not that way mm -hmm. whereas then when you see the um, the difference between him and the Omega hero is that Omega here is like, I'm not going to get involved. It doesn't involve me. Like, well, you prove somebody killing somebody or even beating them up. Like, yeah, it's, it's a, a really interesting difference that are, that's being shown here. His hair is blonde. He's got the great smile. He looks handsome. He's polite. Mm-hmm. But he's got the darker side. He's been in prison. He he's he's actually a legitimately a bad person. And but he's convinced himself he's on the side of the right. Yeah, and he ruins their apartment. Yeah, right. he shoots out the bars in their window. Like the arrogance of superheroes. I mean, we you know nowadays people talk about it like specifically like the Superman Man of Steel movie where like 
Man of Steel fought the bad guy, but they probably did about hundreds of billions of dollars of property damage and killed like hundreds or thousands of people during their one fight. And I think this is maybe the early stage of showing that like, yeah, like all this violence is not without damage. Yeah. yeah, it's like the Sokovia Accords in the Avengers movies, the Marvel movies. You know, they destroyed the whole country basically, and uh, they're finally someone has an it has an impact. I, I did want every Marvel movie, right? They they destroy a city after city after city. Yeah, I did want to mention one thing, and that like you know the maintenance person at the apartment. Yeah. When he comes in, like, you know, he's all like, oh, you got all these crazy people living with you. And the landlord, he doesn't like crazy people, Chicky, even if they are white. Uh-huh. It's just kind of an interesting thing you mentioned there. Wow, this comic is so real compared to any other comic from its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like this very casual mention of race and mm-hmm. it, it like just puts it on a whole other level, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. and like the, the really subtle way that ruth hates rich rory too yeah she's just continually teasing him or in, amber in, you mean or amber rather in a way that just full of like hatred you can tell yeah he's like i'm as cool as a dead pickle and then she's like yeah sexy too or something like that yeah not me i'm a cool as a dead cucumber <laughs> Mm, and, and almost as sexy mm. yeah it, it's so clever yeah and then gramps gives him 300 dollars. <laughs> what's he gonna use the 300 dollars for do we know i mean did i miss you'll something? find out next issue oh next issue okay sadly the last issue the, mm-hmm. the next issue but yeah he just goes down to to the clothing district again like completely this just seems so random right mm-hmm. a 300 suit today would be a decent suit so you can imagine at that time 300 suit would be like a magnificent suit oh he's gonna get a suit uh-huh. i guess but he's looking at the men's store oh okay got it at the at a tasteful navy blue 100 worsted edwardian suit on display in the window Mm, nice and then uh what's his name uh blockbuster is back stealing so i have a question here blockbuster stealing jewelry is he buying it because his kid is suffering from a health some health issue yeah i think he's planning on fencing it so his kid so he and his kid can get away oh so his kid is not a it's not a health thing it's just uh money well i think it's both Oh, okay. He wants to move to Arizona. That's where we'll go, the mountains, as soon as I find a fence for these rocks. So oh. I'm thinking he wants him, wants to get him out to the desert. Yeah, Maybe okay. he has like tuberculosis, which would make it even more of a city thing, right? You get yeah. TB from like, you know, mostly city and city-based infections. And I think there was a quote here where it says, mere circumstance, not principle, has cast them as adversaries blockbuster and then you know the hero because blockbuster is just trying to get enough money so his kid for his kid's health and then um the hero is trying to capture blockbuster so he can get the thousand dollars yeah yeah and there of course we realize the irony 
the two men's motives are the same, the accumulation of material wealth. Mere circumstance, not principle, has cast them as adversaries. And this is another thing of like, you know, real life problems don't really get solved with punches, right? In fact, these are problems caused as a result of like real solutions not being at play. For example, perhaps a better healthcare system for Blockbuster's kid, right? And perhaps a job or some type of a social uh, aid to uh, Omega the hero or whatever. And Pops, yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, they're all they're all victims of this world they're living in. At the, and then when the hero gets thrown into the gold-plated statue, it's like so ironic, right? He he needs the money, uh, but the uncaring society just instead gives him something that means nothing to show wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then now Blockbuster dies too. Does Fool Killer kill him? Yeah. Fool killer kills him. I mean, fool killer is just, he, again, he thinks he's doing right. At least he didn't kill the hero because last time he killed both of them. Both right. Of them but he promises to render a final verdict on the hero. Mm-hmm. I shall be fair, but I shall be watching closely. Mm-hmm. The choice is yours. I love this. Live a poem or die a fool. Mm-hmm. How arrogant. What an arrogant asshole. Mm-hmm. live a poem or die a fool who says shit like that mm-hmm. i'll tell you who says it comic book superheroes yes batman uh-huh punisher fool killer everybody i like richard by the way i want to go back one tiny thing i love richard rory's criticism of fool killer's card fool killer will live behind a card he criticizes it. Same cheap paper, same pedestrian design, same clumsy syntax. What does that remind you of? Comic books. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, yeah, he's basically implying, yeah, the, the full killer is a comic book solution, not a real world solution. Mm-hmm. It's all in two dimensions. Punisher had not been, did, Punisher was around, right? But he hadn't been really popularized at this time. Yeah, he was a supporting character who would pop up sometimes in Spider-Man. He didn't get his own miniseries till the 80s, 82 or something. That Stephen Grant, Mike Zeck book. But maybe Batman is like that. I don't know. I don't know who exactly would be. I guess Punisher is. So did Fool Fool Killer came after the Punisher, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, the original one in Man-Thing came after Punisher was invented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One more issue to go, huh? Yeah, this is a this is a pretty great issue, issue nine. And we really saw the leveling back up with Gerber and Screenus back on the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was wrong when I talked about the splash page of this issue. I don't know if you remember from last episode, I said the splash page was shocking. The next page is is shocking or next- sad. Mm-hmm. Just it's oh, just yeah. heartbreaking to me. And then yeah, we're gonna have a lot to talk about with issue 10. Cool. Thanks, awesome. Amir. Thank you. Oh, thank you.